Um, so today we're going to speak out of the, the series again, The Violence of Good, and we're going to be speaking out of Luke 18. So you can get your Bibles turned to that section of um, scripture while I pray, but we're going to be in Luke 18, verse 31 is where we'll start. So let's go ahead and pray. God, we just worship you and we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that your words would be my words, God, that you would just speak in and through me today, Lord. I give myself to you and I ask that you would work in this place. Prepare our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts and help us to hear what you would have us to hear today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so Luke 18, verse 31, it says this. Then he took the twelve aside and told them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on, and after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. They understood none of these things. How many of you read the Bible and felt that same way? What did you say? I don't know what you're saying. They understood none of these things, but God had kept it hidden from them, so they did not grasp what was said. Now, we're not focusing on this section of this scripture, but this is our lead into our Easter season. So this next few weeks, you'll be hearing a lot about Jesus going to the cross. And then we'll be celebrating on April 21st with the resurrection. So the, fo the part we're going to focus on today is verse 35. It says this, As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 40, Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, what do you want me to do for, me, for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Verse 42, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you, Jesus said. Instantly he could see and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So at first look, many of us might look at this, this scripture and say, Okay, yeah, cool, another Jesus miracle, right? We probably, many of us have heard this or something like it before, Jesus heals blind people. That's like a, intertwined a few times in scripture, right? But, and I got this verse from Pastor Jason. He's speaking on it as well up at our North community tonight in a different context. Um, but, and I was kind of like, uh, this is really basic. Like I was frustrated because I was like, what's here, you know? Yay, good job, Jesus. Like, I appreciate it. You, you, you do miracles, and you're reminding us that you do miracles. But how many of you know that it's never just surface level with God, right? There's always more to the story. So as we dig in a little deeper, we get to see more. And here's the thing. We have three contributors that we see in this story. We have the crowd. We have the blind man, who we know is Bartimaeus from the um, Gospel of Mark, and we have Jesus. All play a role in this man's story, good or ugly, yeah. right? So there's depth to this story. As I've been studying this week, I've been reminded of our struggle about engaging in action. But in this series, we're enforcing action, right? We're sort of pushing that the violence of good requires us to do good things, don't get confused by it's required for you to do good things to know Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But when we know Jesus, we want to do things that glorify him. Yeah. Right? So that is what we're asking. To be a movement of good requires an act altogether against self. 
So that's the violence of good, when we're pushing against ourselves and engaging what God is inviting us into. You know, he doesn't have a plan B, like you're it. Okay? So in order to spread the news of Jesus, you have to open your mouth. You have to lend a hand. You have to engage in the story. Now, he will go and find another kind of, another person, if you choose not to. Because he cares more about the soul that you left, or like when we look at the crowd, the man would have been skipped over had he not cried out to Jesus. Because the crowd wanted to push on. They wanted to keep going. So he's good enough to find someone else if you accidentally miss someone. Thank God for that, right? Okay? Because there's been moments in my story where I'm like, I missed that mark on that one. That was someone God asked me to touch and to say hello to and to encourage and to tell about Jesus, and I missed it. So thank God he's good enough to find someone else to do the work, right? But we get to be involved in the story. Now, when we look at this story of the blind man, we can easily go to like, okay, so we're going to talk today about people in poverty and how we got to go feed them or we got to go help them or be with them or give them a home. No, we're not talking about that. We are talking about people, all people, who are broken and burdened, who are lost, who need a soul conversion. So when you look at the blind man, you see, okay, cool, guy in poverty, Jesus saves him. He's fixed. It's not about that. This is a soul conversion, as we'll dig into more later. He says yes to Jesus from this moment on. And so the reality is God is asking us to be a part of everyone's story, whether they need us practically or spiritually. Because we're all broken on some level. Amen? We may not be blind physically, but we may be blind spiritually. So this is why as a church, we are aggressive about taking action. You see it from the parking lot, to the pulpit, to your kids' ministry, to our serve days, to our getting out, to Redemption House, all the things that you see, every single thing is done with intentionality. You say, what about the loud music? That's on purpose? Yes, it is. Because you might not like it, but it might capture the heart of the musician sitting next to you who can appreciate a good drummer. Okay? And they might be like, oh, this, I, can, I can hang here. I can be here. You might not like the lights. You might not like the like, friendliness at the front door where everyone hugs you. But can I tell you that there's been girls. Just last week, I was ministering to a girl who walked in broken. And I, during that three-minute meet and greet, I took that time. I went over. I sat with her. Didn't know anything about her story. Said hello. Asked her a few questions. You know, all the things we all don't like that we've done to you. <laughs> Asked some questions, dug deeper, walked away from this situation, having just been so thankful you're here, all of these things. Afterwards, she comes up and finds me, just starts pouring out her story and how much she needs Jesus. And I'm like, okay, so that was on purpose. It's uncomfortable, real uncomfortable sometimes, but it was on purpose right? So everything we do here is about being intentional. It's about the one. It's about purpose. When I was in India, I was super frustrated. 
You all know I went to India. I went to investigate a ministry out there that um, is called Rahab's Rope, who we are going to be supporting this next year. And um, we worked with uh, preventative for kiddos um, so that they can have education and not get into situations where they're vulnerable and then thus trafficked. Um, but we also were going into this home. Um, it was a state home. And we were going into it where we couldn't say the name of Jesus. We couldn't really, we had to be very practical. So we were going to go in there and teach them about, some half the room probably doesn't want to know what we taught them about, but womanly things, okay? <laughs> and so the problem, though, was wasn't that. It was the day before we had sat with two women who rescue girls off the street and, and rehabilitate them to the state that they came from. So they work with minors. And she said, the easiest part is rescuing. And how much is this like our stories? The easiest part is saying yes to Jesus. The easiest part is that. It's then the rehabilitation of our life to follow him. And so for this moment, that was just a side note. That was just like that went together. But for this moment, it was frustrating because oftentimes these girls will be picked up, rescued, taken back to their state of India, and put into children's homes or the state home where they literally can be for at least 20 years until life. And I was devastated. I was thinking, what is the point then? And I know this sounds crazy because we all think of trafficking and we think they're, they're stuck. They have to be there. And there is some level of that, but it's different than what we think. It's not just a physical imprisonment. There's a whole gamut of things that go into a person in trafficking, but in many situations, they can leave. So I thought to myself, why would you be... You literally are picking them up out of one sort of oppression and pushing them into another where they will never be redeemed. They will never see education. They will never be able to go into their, back into the world and have purpose and destiny and all the things we all love. They won't get to dream. And their minds literally turn to mush after so long of being in that kind of oppression. So I was angry with God. And I was like, why? You could literally just walk into a room. You could just make yourself known and every knee will bow. We believe that, right? You're so good. Yet you want to take one person through a nine-year process and then, you know? And I, I was so angry. But over time and over reading through this story and over the last few weeks, I've become less angry. But still, it's the frustrating process, right? And this is what's frustrating is that in order to see people find redemption, he needs us. And the thing I saw in India was the same thing we're going to be accomplishing here through Redemption House, which is that aftercare and pointing people to Jesus is the only answer for people. It's the only answer. So, here's the thing. We have to realize that it's not about the crowd. It is about the one. So Jesus was following the crowd into Jerusalem. They're ushering him into Jerusalem. We're getting ready for Palm Sunday. That's the situation they're going into, right? They're moving into this, this next thing. Yet Jesus was like, no, you're missing the moment. Okay? So the title of my message today is this. The choice is yours. 
We all know that with every choice, there are consequences, good or bad, for our benefit or the benefit of others, for our destruction or the destruction of others, each decision of every day, cause and effect, God's plan or our own. We know that. And initially, we look at this story and it feels very basic. But as you dig in, you realize that this is a chord against humanity. It strikes a chord within us. Because in this story, we see disregard, we see shame, we see brokenness, we see a miracle. We see desperation, celebration, complacency, cynicism, hope, and more. This isn't just some great story. It's a story about our humanity. So let's begin with the crowd. You guys, I have eight points. Are you ready? It's going to be good. <laughs> let's begin with the crowd. We're going to look back at Luke 18, 38. It says this, So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to keep quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So let's be real. We've all been in those moments of the crowd where we're just pushing away those who obviously need us, who need hope and who need Jesus, all the while supposedly following Jesus. And Jesus is over there. And we're there. We think we're going there. But he said, no, here. See, we're still going forward, but there's sometimes some detours. So I want to dig into this. This idea of complacency, which is where the crowd was at. They were in this season of complacency. They were following Jesus, but they had learned to follow him, and that was the one way they followed him. Some of us are in this same season. I go to church. That's how I follow Jesus. How many of you know that's not following Jesus? Good job. You came to church. Now tomorrow, follow Jesus. Right? Come get encouraged. Come get filled up. And tomorrow, go follow Jesus. Or when you leave this place, go follow Jesus. So here's the danger if we don't dethrone complacency in our lives. The first one is this. If we don't dethrone complacency, it keeps us bound. So the thing I think of when I'm looking at the story of the crowd and I think about the things that may go through their head, I think about what would go through mine. And here is the hardest thing sometimes about helping others, is that when we help others, it highlights in us our own failures, faults, dysfunctions, our own brokenness. So it's hard because taking action often requires us to be very vulnerable. It requires us to be okay with sharing our story, and it requires us to slow down and see, I've been there. I didn't want to go back there so soon, but I will if it means helping you. So if we don't engage in action and we sit complacent, it doesn't just keep that person bound, it keeps us bound to our self, to our struggles. When we involve action, it releases us in amazing ways. The second point is this, if we don't dethrone complacency, it defeats the already defeated our complacency allows the already defeated to remain in their defeated state. And how often have we each needed a hand out of that defeat? How often have we just desperately wanted someone to come along who understood exactly where we were at? And God's given us each other for that reason. Like I said, he doesn't have a different plan. People are his plan. We are his plan. So if we don't engage, the risk is great and people stay defeated. 
Isaiah 61 reminds us of Jesus' purpose, which he is now passed on to us. We have the same purpose in people's life. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. This is a spiritual battle. He's not just talking about the poor man on the street asking for change. He is talking about the poor in heart, the poor in soul, the lost ones of our generation. And this is what he'll do if we help him. When we're invited into the story, he will use us to be this for others. My third point is this. If we don't dethrone complacency, it makes us undesirable and blind to our own need. So this one's kind of hard. We've probably heard the verse about being lukewarm. Have you heard that verse? Go ahead and just raise your hand. You've heard the verse? Okay, a lot of us have. If you haven't, guess what? Today's your day. (laughs) In Revelation 3.15, it says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Super encouraging. (laughs) The reality is, God just wants us to be strong, one way or another, not to just be passive, not to just be still, not to be asleep and walking like zombies, but to be cold or hot for him. And it's not like, if you're cold, you don't love Jesus. It's not about that. I'm a little icy, and I love Jesus. This message might be a little icy, but it's all about Jesus, okay? It might be that you're really hot, and you're on fire, and you're passionate, and you're just, you know... That's the reality he wants. He wants to see us not be lukewarm, where we just settle into society and we just settle into all the things around us. And 17 is, he says, for you say, I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. That never happens on this planet. There is no you need nothing. You have everything Because you need Jesus for the rest of your days, every day, every second of every day. And here's the thing. When you don't realize that you are actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Okay. Thanks for the wake-up call. You know, like he, the reality is we always need him. We always need him. We don't arrive So have you ever drank a bottle of water that's been sitting in a hot car? That is the picture you can get of what Jesus is saying. He is saying, like, there's, this is not good. Complacency is not good. Cold water is refreshing. Even hot water is refreshing. But lukewarm, we all know that's not refreshing. No matter how desperate we are, right? (laughs) Martin Luther tells this story. He says, the devil held a great anniversary at which his emissaries were convened to report the results of their several missions. One says, I let loose the wild beasts of the desert on a caravan of Christians and their bones are now bleaching on the sands. The devil says, what of that? Their souls are all saved. No, nothing good accomplished there. But another says, for 10 years, I tried to get a single Christian asleep and I succeeded and left him so. Then the devil shouted, and the night stars of hell sang for joy. His mission is to get us asleep, and I'm not talking about death. His mission is to get us living in complacency. 
Because when we're living in complacency, there isn't anybody coming up behind us. There isn't anyone we're pulling out of their grave. There isn't anyone who's saying yes to Jesus when we're living in complacency. We are not a threat. So, are we going to be a threat? Number four, if we don't dethrone complacency, it hardens our hearts. And this one I'll just talk about really quickly. When we ignore the needs of others, not just the physical needs, the spiritual needs, it hardens our hearts. And you see this with Pharaoh in the Old Testament where he didn't have compassion upon the Israelites when Moses came to say, let my people go. He wouldn't have compassion. And that God had hardened his heart and he could not find God. He could not understand God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to a place like the disciples where God's trying to hide things from me back in the first part of that verse. I want to be like, what are you saying, God? Let's go do that. And so it hardens our hearts. We have to be careful about that. Okay, great news. Good things. You guys ready for some good things? (laughs) Okay, here's some great news. The first one is this. If we choose action, we identify our own need. So in Luke 18, 40 through 42, Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? Mind you, this is Jesus. He already knows the problem. But he's asking us to admit it to ourselves. He's asking us to admit our own problem. Lord, he said, I want to see. The thing I like about the blind man here is he didn't just say, I'm blind. Like, clearly, so what do you think I need? He said, what he wanted. He wanted the future. It wasn't where he was at now, that his present tense, this present state. It wasn't about being blind. It was about that he wanted to see. And we're going to see that he doesn't just see physically, but he sees spiritually. For the blind man, he, 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 could, he needed to recognize his situation. And Jesus had to recognize his situation. So that's where we get to be used, is when we take action, we recognize someone's situation but they have to recognize their situation as well. It takes two of us admitting the need in order to see Jesus come in and heal the need, right? And so that's what we see here. Action requires both parties to recognize their need. The second point is this. When we engage in action, we exercise humility. So let's look at the blind man again. Verse 18, 38 through 39, he says, so he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, imagine they're in a crowd, and it must be pretty loud because the blind man can hear them coming. So he's got to shout to God. He's got to shout to Jesus and say, have mercy on me. Then those in front of him, the crowd, said, shh, 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 shh. stop bugging Jesus. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. On, the ba- on behalf of the blind man, we see his humility and how desperately he wanted healing. We see that he was willing to shout and press into it. And in the same way, our pride has to be laid down. If we want God to use us, our pride has to be laid down. Our pride of self and thinking that the moment that we're headed towards is more important than the moment Jesus is asking us to engage in. And that was the problem with the crowd is they were on mission They didn't even know where they were going. They didn't even know because God had hidden it from them that they were headed to the cross. But he said, no, this is what I have. So it's more important for us to see this than stay on mission. And oftentimes we're stuck in mission mode. 
we're stuck and busy. We're, we don't have time. We don't have time to stop. We got a mission. We're following Jesus, only Jesus stopped. He's back here. You're not following him anymore. He wants to be with this guy. Both parties have to engage in humility and lay down. We have to lay down our pride. We have to lay down our desires, and we have to stop and engage the situation. The third point is this. When we engage in action, we see our hearts soften. Luke 18, 40 through 41. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? We see Jesus' heart turned toward the blind man. He was softened for the blind man. He had compassion for the blind man. When we're willing to disrupt our agendas, our hearts are softened to the things Jesus has for us. Now, this is the thing, and I think in our American culture, we've sort of hung on to a few verses that have kind of made us a little um, insensitive to what Jesus might be saying to us and have for us. And those verses are this, which I love. Please know that this is what I'm, I'm, what I'm about to tell you does not mean I don't believe these verses are applicable. But Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. This is the, the Lord's declaration, plans of well-being, not for disaster, to give you hope in a future. Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of our hearts. We like these verses because it means that we're going to get what we want, right? It means that his plan for us is great, which is true, that his desires for us are great, but his desires are likely to be different than our desires. And in James 4, we hear that exact warning, about making plans. It says this in verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes. Another encouraging message, thank you. <laughs> Instead you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Does that mean that you can't plan your grocery list for this week? No. Does that mean you shouldn't plan to go to work on Monday? Probably not. But it just means that we're aligning our heart for him, that at any moment he may say, mm, detour. And we're okay with that. There's been moments where we have planned our entire week. We have planned our dinners. And so I like having a plan. I like knowing what's coming. It's very hard for me when I do not know what's coming. It stresses me out. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And then we've had to interrupt our plan because someone needed our encouragement and say, can I just come hang out with you? Yeah. Okay. But we could do that because our hearts are set before him and we're saying, God, whatever you have, you first. You above everything. So we get to be invited into his story when we're willing to disrupt our plans. The fourth point is this, and our team can come up. When we engage in action, we point people to Jesus and away from ourselves. So this is what I love about Luke 18, 42 through 43. And remember, this is never just about a physical need. You can go feed homeless people all day long, but if you don't tell them about Jesus, you miss the point. Are you truly feeding them? Where does their eternity lie? What's their story? Now, am I saying don't get feel, go feed homeless people? Like, come on, I don't need to go down that path. You understand what I'm saying. The point is that there's an eternal thing at risk here. 
And when we engage in action, we get to point people to Jesus. So Luke 18, 42 says, receive your sight. Jesus told him, your faith has saved you. Instantly he could see. And he began to follow him, glorifying God. Then all the people, when they saw this happen, gave praise to God. I think that we're in danger of forgetting where God has saved us from. And there used to be a moment where you praised God about everything. Everyone knew what had just happened in your life. Everyone knew what God had saved you from. And now we've become complacent in sharing our faith. We've become complacent in how he might want to use us in a situation. We've forgotten where he saved us from because we've become complacent. We've gotten comfortable. We've become safe. And Jesus is like, remember when I pulled you out of the grave? Do I, I don't want to put you back there. I'm not going to let you go back there. Some of us are still living there in a different way. It's like in India where people get rescued and then right back into oppression. Some of us are still living in this place. God can use you in that place. He's so good. He can still use your story. You can still help others, but he's asking you to engage and to remember where you came from so that when you remember where you came from, you can remember how much somebody else needs Jesus in their life. I want to leave you with a couple thoughts. As Christ followers, we are either needing Jesus or needing to act like him at every, any given moment. There is never a pause on Jesus. We are either desperately needing him and him to fill us up, engaging in him, seeking him, following him, or we are acting like him at any given moment of our lives. Maybe when you sleep, but he could use that time. He can speak to you. He can tell you what tomorrow is going to bring. At any moment, we are either needing him or needing to act like him. And he's asking us to engage in action. It's rumored to be said by Mahatma Gandhi, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. This guy was literally sought the right answer his entire life. And we turned him away. Our behaviors and our actions, our pride, our egos, our theologies turned him away. I was watching a documentary about Billy Graham on Netflix last night, and uh, towards the end, Toby Mack, who happens to be, like, my favorite person. Uh, <laughs> I have a crush on him. I've had one since I was a kid. I'm sorry. It hasn't gone away. <laughs> anyway, Toby Mack. He said this thing, though, and I, it really, I had to write it down because I thought that is just exactly Jesus. It says, Jesus was... Always shocking people with how far he, I'm trying to read my own writing here, how far he was willing to go with his love. And I think he's asking us, how far are you willing to go with my love? Have you gotten complacent and comfortable in my love? Because it's not just meant for you. Have you stopped loving others? Have you forgotten about the girl that sits in the cubicle next to you that pours her heart out every day and all she needs is to be reminded that 
there's someone that can give her everything she needs. Have we become complacent because we're on our own journey, in our own plans, seeking our own purpose, and following after self? So I leave you with that news, that question today. Let's stand and pray. (laughs) But the reality is that we can become complacent and stay in that, or we can move to action. So I just want to encourage you over this week to ask God, Lord, where have I become complacent? What areas of my life am I missing the Holy Spirit moving in my life? Where have I set my agenda and just stuck to it and missed every moment that you have for me? So if we'll just take time to be praying for that this week, but I'm believing that this church can be a church ignited to action, that we can see people saved off the streets, we can see people come into this place and find Jesus, we can see people saved in the cubicle next to us. You don't need to bring them here. You just need to tell them about Jesus. You just need to get them on the path to hope and a future. So I'm believing we can be that kind of church. Let's pray. God, we worship you in this place, Lord. We ask that you would just be here. Lord, I know this message isn't easy, God, and it even strikes a chord in me, Lord, and the places that I have started allowing to be dormant, the places where I've gone to sleep in my life. And I just pray right now, God, for a fire to rise up within us, that we would be ignited to your purpose, that we wouldn't look past or look over those who desperately need you, God, but we would point them directly to you, Lord. I pray that we would slow down and sense you around us, God, and your purpose and your plan.